Well, good morning. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. I don't know if I am to you all, but I'm still very loud to myself. So uh, if I am too loud, I'm sure Dave will get us corrected in no time. I just wanted to give you kind of a quick heads up about the egg hunt that's going to happen right after service. So what's going to happen is once service is over, Jerrica, our children's pastor, who also happens to be my wife, will release your child to you. And then if you'll give us like three minutes to let her get out there and kind of uh, get in position so that she can explain some things uh, to the kiddos and make sure that everybody kind of knows what they're doing and what they're looking for and and all that we would greatly appreciate it but we are so glad that you've joined us here this morning we are now I'm off we are honored by your presence and uh, we're just glad that you're here with us this morning we are continuing a series in Romans this is week three for us and we are looking at um, the the saving righteousness of God so last week we looked at the 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 righteous wrath of God right we discussed the depths of our sin we talked about how uh, all of us every single person perpetrates sin and that how as, as Christians we have to hate all that is evil abhor what is evil hate sin right but cling to what is good and that means all sin every sin Right? And, and while we tend to weigh some sins heavier than others, mainly the ones we don't struggle with, right? It's always how that, funny how that works out well for us. The sins that we don't necessarily struggle with are the worst ones, while the ones that we struggle with get a lot of grace. And, and we were just kind of open and honest about that. But even though we tend to do that and try to justify our actions, God treats all sin the same. And because of this, we are subject to the righteous wrath of God. And no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we cannot obtain righteousness on our own. We ended last week by looking at Romans chapter 3, verse 20, which says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now I ended my time by saying that we all sin, right? But Christ wins. We sin, but Christ wins. And today we are going to discuss that victory, starting in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And uh, we'll jump around a little bit. All of the scriptures are going to be on the screen if you'd like to read them there. If you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, you can do that as well. But uh, we're trying to make it as easy for you as possible. So read along with us. And um, if you have any questions or concerns at the end of this, Feel free to approach me and talk to me about anything, okay? But looking at Romans chapter 3, verse 21, in the first half of 22, Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. Romans 3.22a, right, that first part of 3.22, says the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Now, right away, things are a little different, Right? Paul starts the, this part of this passage with but now. And those two words that we would overlook often, but, but they ring out of importance to us because what Paul is beginning to do is contrast the difference between the law, which can only shed light on sin. If you remember from last week, we talked about that. And I know I'm bouncing back to last week. If you have any interest in looking at previous sermons, all of those are on YouTube or any other podcast type site that you can find those on. But we talked about how um, that was the case, right? And so the righteousness of God, which is manifested outside the law and obtained through faith, 
right? So the contrast is between the law, which sheds light on sin, and the righteousness of God, which is manifested outside of the law and obtained through faith. Now, this doesn't mean that the law and prophets are without merit or worth, and Paul wants to make that clear. And the reason he says that they are still worthy of study is because they testify to the fact that, that righteousness from God is found outside of following the law. In fact, if we look at Genesis 15, verse 6, it says that Abraham was given a promise from the Lord, and he believed the Lord, and he, meaning God, counted to, to him, meaning Abraham, as righteousness, right? So because Abraham believed in God, he was seen as righteous. And that, we will see, is how righteousness is obtained. Faith and righteousness are synonymous in that one cannot be obtained without the other. One cannot be obtained without the other. Faith is required. And as Paul goes on to explain in the second half of 22 into verse 23 and 24, it says, For there is no distinction. There is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot to unpack in just these few short verses. First of all, Paul's words were a bit of a slap in the face to his Jewish audience. Because before the introduction of Jesus, they had this special relationship with God and they felt this certain ownership over him. Guys, I, I'm really ringing up here. I'm sorry to, I'm trying to ignore it, but like I am about to blow my eardrums out. So the ring and the, if we could get that somehow to go away, I love you all. I love you all. I'm sorry, I have ADHD. That's not a joke, that's the truth, and I'm a little distracted. Coming back, coming back. Focus, Paul, focus. Right? His words would have been, thank you. His words would have been very, and I mean very much so, a slap in the face to his Jewish audience who, who, like I said before this, had this special connection to God and felt like God is ours. And not only is God ours, but we get to say who God loves and why God loves them. But to the Gentiles, this would have been so freeing to realize that, that Paul, as a Jewish scholar himself, even if in an unflattering situation, right, the, the situation, the, the surrounding sin, saw them as equals. All people sin and fall short of the glory of God. And again, I say to the church, as the church, we have no room for a superiority complex because we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. There is no distinction. And sometimes, if we're being honest with ourselves, as church folk, we act like there is. We know Jesus, we get it, we understand, and somehow we are just better off because we have this understanding. But this verse makes it very clear that that's not the case. We're all in the same boat. Whether Christian or not, we fall short of the glory of God. And I want to take a look at that word, fall short. It's translated from a Greek word that is pronounced easter ero. I said that really cool. <laughs> easter ero. Right? And why is that important? It's important because that word is written in the present tense. And that's cool because it stresses continuous action. You see, we continually fall short of the glory of God. All of us, 
even after experiencing Christ, we continually fall short of the glory of God and we continually get to accept and be a part of that grace relationship. That grace relationship. And if we're being honest, what we do best is fall short of the glory of God. It's actually my number one skill set. (laughs) Falling short of the glory that God has set out for me. Regardless of how hard we try, we continuously fall short of the mark set for us by God. So that's it, right? That's it. Hope is lost. We are helpless. We are hopeless. What is there now? But just like every great infomercial, wait, there's more, right? There's more. God wants us to experience his glory. Do you hear that? Can you understand that? That is the mark that we fall short of. That's what God wants us to experience. It's not a measuring tool he uses to to make us feel bad. It's the gift that he wants to give us, his glory. And it's what we can't quite match up to. It was really his original intention for us to experience his glory. But we fall short of that. So Romans 3.24 says we all fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Justification, which cannot be obtained by doing, right? To be justified means to be made right. We cannot be made right by what we do, but it can be obtained by grace. It can't be obtained by grace. Grace, by definition, is a gift. The word there in the original language is literally without charge. Think about that. Grace received without charge. This justification, while free to us, while without charge to us, does not come without a cost. You see, redemption is provided by Christ. Redemption is provided and only provided by Christ. And looking back at another Greek word, I'm going to stop being a Bible nerd in a minute, but I just think this is so cool and so important. Redemption comes from a Greek word, apolytrosis, whose base word, root word is lyron. And, and the literal meaning of that word is ransom payment. We get a free gift without charge, a ransom payment without charge provided for us. Romans 3.25, the first part of it says, God presented Christ. God presented his own son as this ransom payment, this sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. How is it to be received? How are we supposed to take our ransom payment? Through faith. To be received by faith, by belief. The ransom payment was the literal blood of Christ, and it paid for all of our sins. All of our sins. Because all fall short. All also have the, the chance to experience God's glory again through faith, through belief. Right? And looking at atonement, which means to satisfy through sacrifice, this payment that was made on our behalf and accepted by us through faith, accepted by God for us. 
And then he continues in the second half of 25 through 26, where he says, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, if you read these verses, maybe you were like me in the first couple times you've read them, you're like, what? Right? Huh? I mean, I read them four or five times way before that. I remember the first time I read these verses. I remember when I first read these verses this week. And it's one of those things where you get lost in the wording and it's like, what is, what, what, what does this all mean? How am I supposed to apply this to myself? Here's what I want you to understand about these specific verses. You see, Jesus' sacrifice solved a divine dilemma for God. How was he to satisfy his own righteousness and its demands for sinful people? How was he to hold us accountable and yet demonstrate his grace and his love for us? How could he both make sure that we got what we deserve, but also that we didn't get what we deserve? See the dilemma? That's why it's divine. I could not answer it. But it says in his forbearance, in his previous knowledge, knowing that a sacrifice of such degree would be needed, and understand that this isn't God acting on his own, that Christ understands what's needed as well. Because yes, God sent him forward, but yes, also Jesus went willingly. So in their foreknowledge of sin, they left some of the previous sins unpunished, which is why the sacrificial system was put in place to kind of hold things over until the one and only spotless lamb of God who is Jesus Christ could shed his blood for you and I on a cross. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. We have a hard time comprehending it. We have a hard time wiping, not wiping, wrapping Wrapping is the right word. We have a hard time wrapping our head around it. It just doesn't compute. It's a divine solution to a divine problem, and we struggle to understand, and even more so, we struggle to appreciate it. But the gospel is this. We all sin. We can't earn forgiveness by any means of our own. But God sent forth his son, and his son came willingly to pay our ransom. Without cost, completely free. And therefore, the punishment that we should face, we don't face because Jesus paid the price. That would be enough to celebrate. We could be done, but wait, there's more. <laughs> you see, not only did Christ die for you, he rose for you too. He rose for you too. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we celebrate Easter. Because not only did Christ die for us, he rose for us also. And that means something. And we don't give it enough attention and we don't give it enough credit. In John 11, 25 through 26, if you're familiar with this passage, it's where he's dealing with the death of Lazarus. And he's approached by Martha, and she basically just in complete anguish says, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes 
in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her the all-important question. It was months ago when we talked about this question. He asked her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because it's not something she had to do. It wasn't something that she had to pay for. There was no cost to her. It was just based in whether or not she believed. And her answer was yes. You see, these words are a moment in Scripture where Jesus' words apply to a situation at hand, but also to a much broader yet unknown future. These words from Jesus to Martha announce his command over death, his power to control death. To her, it meant that her brother would live. To us, it means that not only can he pay for our sins, but he can overcome the consequences of our sin as well. Remember Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. But here's this term again, the free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Christ didn't just come to forgive your sins. He came so that he and you might be able to conquer them. So that sin would no longer chain you to a grave. So that sin would no longer have any control over your life. He came to set you free by grace, a completely free gift. And why did he do it? So that you might live instead of die. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came so that we might experience life through him. So I call us to 1 Corinthians 15, 55, which is a quote from previous scripture. And it says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus said of his own life in John 18, or John 10, verse 18, no one takes it from me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and here's the key, the important piece, the next step, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, Jesus took up his life so that you might live. He swallowed up death victorious. Where is the sting of death? Where is its victory? It's laying in a tomb built by your sin. It's laying in a tomb built by my sin. The sting of death is laying in a tomb built by our wrongdoings. And yet it was Jesus who took them to the grave and left them there as he stood up and he walked out of that grave. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Savior, but you know what else? You know what he doesn't get called enough? Resurrector. Christ is our Resurrector. If you will with me, I'd want you to just bow your eyes, or bow your heads, close your eyes. You don't, if you're comfortable with it, I just want you to listen. I want you to remove everything else but I want you to hear this. 
When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. You may open your eyes. It is written, Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now in this moment today, and I am just so thankful. I am so thankful. I don't have the words to express how thankful I am. But God, you made the ultimate sacrifice in delivering your son to a world who didn't want him to be rejected and despised and to have his body broken and his blood shed. And Jesus, you knowing that, you went to the cross anyways. You went to the cross anyways and you paid our debt. Our sin was nailed to the cross with you and as blood spilled from your body, it paid for our sins and we were forgiven and that would have been enough that would have been enough but as God does he, he goes further and three days later when the stench and decay of death would have been set in as people approached your tomb to adorn your body with spices you were not there because you took up your life and you conquered death so that those who believe in you will never have to die. Even though our earthly bodies will pass away, our spirit will be renewed and we will be with you one day in paradise and we will be in the presence of God and we will be with our fellow saints and we will worship and we will cry out and we will praise you. God, why wait till then? Why wait till then? Why not start now? Why not give our lives over completely as a living sacrifice to you to say, here I am, God, wherever you need me, send me. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you need me to go, I will go. God, may we start right now today. May we turn our life over to you. May we get rid of the things that are in the way, the things that separate us from you, the things that we put in between ourselves and you. May we cast them to the wayside. May we say, I am Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus, use us. Help us to love the world around us. Help us to be the hands and feet. 
Help us to not just be partakers in the free gift of grace, but God also delivers of that free gift of grace. People who, who let it be known that, that that gift is available, that all that has to be done in order to receive it is to believe. Do you believe this? Yes, God, I do. Yours is the power. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. Stand with us now and worship. Stand with us now and worship and give God what God deserves. If you need to pray with someone this morning, come pray with me. I'll be up here ready to pray with you. If you'd like to use our stage as an altar, that's what it's there for. Come, kneel, pray, speak to God. Don't leave anything unsaid this morning that needs to be said. If you want to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, to to call Him your Savior, to believe in Him before all other things, then have that conversation with me today. I think it's the most important conversation you'll ever have in your life. But if all of that is solidified for you, then give God the offering that He deserves and lift this song up as a prayer and praise. Amen? Let's worship.